Hello and welcome to the Library Cafe. I'm Thomas Hill. Our first guest of the new semester is my friend and colleague Amitabha Kumar. Ami is a writer, journalist, and a member of the Vassar College English faculty. He's the author of a whole host of books, much of it consisting of literary nonfiction. Ami is back with us on the show to talk to us about his second novel. The title is Immigrant Montana, a novel published by Knopf in 2018. The book has won many awards, including the New York Times Most Notable Book List of 2018, the New Yorker's Best Books of the Year in 2018, and it also made President Obama's favorite books list of that year. Ami was last on the program for an interview about his book, Lunch with a Bigot, in 2015, but he's back today. Welcome back, Ami. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tom. Just sort of generally working around any spoilers, can you give us a brief idea of what the book is about? Yeah. A young immigrant comes to America from India uh-huh. and hears Dr. Ruth on the radio. <laughs> yeah. After arriving in what looks seems like Columbia University, uh-huh. he's listening to the radio and he hears Dr. Ruth offering sex advice on the radio. That's how, that's one of the strands <laughs> through which the book begins. And thereby it signals the idea of the discovery, not only of a new country, mm-hmm. but of that new country called desire uh-huh, uh-huh. or sexuality. So that's one of the things that happens in the book. Uh-huh. And, 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 and there are other strands too. You know, for yeah. example, this person is doing his doctoral work. He meets mm-hmm. other people their discovery of your other young lives. But there's also a mentor at the heart of the book. That mentor is a professor there. And that is based on someone who in real life was a man who was an immigrant. Mm -hmm. He was a professor in America. In the 70s, he was indicted for conspiring to kidnap Kissinger. Kidnap Henry Kissinger. I remember that story in the news, actually. Wow. They made made much of nothing. Yes, 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 under (laughs) under Hoover. So he provides some sort of a moral center to Uh the book with these graduate students around him. Uh So it's a a portrayal of, I suppose, young lives within academia. Uh Yeah, 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 very much. It's very much an academic novel, I I found it to be. so. And it's about his discovery of himself, right? Yeah. As he's discovering this new world that he lives in, and it's about migration. It is, it is, it is, it is. I mean, most novels are about what? They're about time passing, Mm -hmm. right? And they're about people changing, Uh right? Yes. And so here there is this added element of space also. So it's about time, time passing, but also about movement, movement across space. Uh It's it's an investigation of what happens to private lives and public lives as a result of migration. Uh Very interesting. So everything is new to this young person uh, in a way. Yes, Uh, yes. However, he's also rediscovering things about his past. That's right, that's right. In the old one, you know. Yeah, because that is what distance allows you to do. Ah. You you come to a new place and you look at what you have or you are from a distance or from with new eyes. Uh-huh. So that is also a part of something, which also happened in my own case, you know. And, uh-huh. and so I was trying to reflect on my own experience and think a bit more about it. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, to, Please. To, to what extent the, the novel is autobiographical. Certainly it can't be perfectly autobiographical. No, but, no. But there are certainly historical elements in it. So absolutely, absolutely. Element. There are two things that was very interesting to me. One was 
to be inventive because it is fiction yeah but also be inventive in a way that kept stressing that it was autobiographical in other words the ruse of autobiography uh-huh. uh-huh. for example the name of the narrator is a somewhat unusual name it's a provincial name it's yeah. kalash uh-huh. an irish classmate of his calls him kalash nikov yeah. <laughs> and then kalash nikov becomes ak47, AK and that's and ak, AK yeah. so and people call me ak all the time and i you know or used to in grad school at least uh-huh. and i thought I mean I'm not patting myself on the back too much but I thought oh that's clever if I make that you know so oh, 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 or oh, and oh. I've also given my narrator this idea that he is written one of the books that I wrote actually uh-huh. just in order to stress yeah. or to give the idea to the reader that it was my own life except uh-huh. it's not my own it's life not, yeah. I never went to Colombia in fact even yeah. the person I just mentioned to you the mentor I never even met him yeah. uh-huh. I never studied with Edward Said but my narrator does those things uh-huh. because I think those were important turns in shaping of post-colonial identities of many people oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, no. but very interesting. I was at Columbia during those See, years, those same years. That's and, amazing. And, uh, that's never took uh, Saeed's <laughs> class. Yeah, yeah. However, he's a huge presence yeah, there in Philosophy Hall, and I felt you must have some insight into what <laughs> life was like at Columbia there because you know the landscape so well and you know what yeah. students' lives are like and graduate students' lives in the libraries. And, yeah, and, and I knew really some of the students. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. thank you. I knew some of the students who were studying there at that time. Also, I just went back, Tom. Uh-huh. I just went back and, uh-huh. I mean, not only spent time on the campus, but I would just go through the newspaper, uh-huh. oh, you know, the yeah. Columbia uh-huh. Spectator, uh-huh. just to see what was happening in those years. Yeah. So there's a scene, for example, there's a protest against the first Iraq war, and there's a student protest on campus, and Grace Paley is speaking. Oh, I wasn't there, yeah. but I got that. From the, okay. I, I, go, yeah. I got that from the newspaper. Yeah, yeah. no, it's very New Yorky. So anybody reading it that knows Columbia and knows yes. New York feels at home there. In a way, yes, you know, that, that's great. Thank you. Home, so, uh, so Barack Obama liked your book, yes? So. Yeah, that was a major surprise, but also a great thrill. Uh-huh. I don't know. How does a book make its way to... to yeah. uh, any reader, yeah. but to this particular reader. Yeah. I didn't uh, know he had a list, which is not... Every yeah. year, you know, okay. that's a yeah. major thing yeah. that he has. I mean, I think after... Oprah Winfrey doesn't have that TV show anymore. Yeah. So Barack Obama's list, in some ways, of wonderful end-of-the-year ritual, uh-huh. Uh-huh. where there is 10, 12, whatever yeah. number of books. It's and like the Booker Prize. <laughs> <laughs> so, as one of my friends yeah. wrote, this is bigger than the Booker Prize. I don't know about that, but, but it was yeah, great. No, it was no, great. Yeah, no, it, was, uh, um, um, it must have also, you know, when he, like you, Obama also went to Columbia. Uh-huh. And maybe that period overlapped, uh-huh. you know. Someone might have mentioned it to him. Yeah. Or also, you know, he had a Pakistani roommate. And yeah. Iqbal Ahmed might be a name familiar to him. Yeah. And so, but I was just... Delighted. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, no. Yeah, it, it's nice to think of him as a reader, you know. Of you, course. When you visualize your reader when you're writing. Yes, uh, so yes. We, uh, and, and also when you think of the current president. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> who, who hasn't read, I don't think he has read even the book that he has written, <laughs> The Art of the League. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, so uh, last semester I interviewed our colleague Michael Joyce yes. uh, about his most recent novel. It was called Remedia Picaresque. And reading your book, it reminded me of his book just in certain ways, not sure. entirely. And you haven't exactly what one would call a picaresque novel here, but you have a hero who is very interested in sexuality yeah. and is also kind of a rogue, which is one of the ways you d- define a, a picaresque novel. He's limited, certainly, in certain ways. Yes. And, and in a way, I think you're exploring the limits of your character 
character. Yeah. You know, in terms of literary conventions, are there conventions governing the type of narrative voice you employ when you're defining your character? You know, in the 19th century, you would have novels that were written from the point of view of an omniscient narrator. Yes. Right? Uh-huh. That certainly is not very common these days. No. So what has shifted in terms of conventions? What has shifted is that now you have more first-person narrators. Uh-huh. That is one sense of limitation then that has been imposed, that the novel that you're reading is no longer narrated from God's viewpoint, where yeah. everything is known about different characters, yeah. uh-huh. but instead it is already partial. Mm-hmm. What I have done further, and why I was drawn to the idea of someone who, as you rightly say, is limited, was because I think one of the ways in which you should politicize the idea of the first person narration now mm-hmm. is that we should draw attention not to authority but to limitation, to have a flawed narrator. Yeah. I was very interested in that, mm-hmm. especially given in our age right now where all kinds of codes of behavior are being interrogated. Mm-hmm. I wanted someone who would stumble into knowledge uh-huh. and into error. Uh-huh. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Rather yeah. than someone who is always yeah. being doing yeah. the right thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. life isn't like that. Yeah. Yeah. Life is messy, yeah. and we are often stupid. Yeah, and if, if the novel basically is about time and somebody's growing, you have to grow from somewhere. That's right. That's right. So I'm interested, as I was saying, Tom, in the flawed character. Uh There's no redemption. In other words, it's not that we make a mistake and then we do not make any more mistakes, and Uh that's what makes the novel move, but rather we make another mistake. (laughs) And one of my favorite passages in literature, in all of literature, is from American Pastoral by Philip Roth. Mm -hmm. And the words are, the fact remains that getting people right is not what living is all about anyway. It's getting them wrong that is living. Uh-huh. Getting them wrong and wrong and wrong. And then, on careful reconsideration, getting them wrong again. That's how we know we are alive. Yeah. We are wrong. We were wrong, yeah. You know? That's so interesting. And yeah. that's what I was trying to do there. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, he does stumble for sure. But the interesting thing then, you know, this is uh, about his sexuality. Yes. yes. Because it, it's almost divided by his love interests as time yes. goes on. Yes. Who introduce him to this new culture. Yes. But the love interests, the women do seem to stumble a lot less themselves, or at least... As women seem, do. Yeah, they seem, <laughs> as women do. And, and they're much more positively drawn in a yes, way. Yes, you know, yes, yes. Uh, yes. So they're very much a positive influence on them. And That's what I thought. That's what I thought. So, I mean... And it was exactly the same, not the harp on it, but in Michael's novel, it was the same thing. Sure, you know, sure. Because it was about sexual encounters one after the next. Excellent. Uh, I'm know. glad that there is the dialogue between the books then. I mean, my book was written long before the Me Too movement. Uh But I thought in some ways it gathers its energy from some of those impulses Uh where you think that the man is behaving with a level maybe of innocence but also of arrogance or stupidity, somewhat uninterrogated some things. He has a degree of Mm self-consciousness, but it is slightly uninterrogated. While the women, from very different positions, are bringing their own agency and thoughtfulness, you know? I've found that instructive. It's not like, how shall I say? It's not like, in this case, since we're discussing women, every woman is necessarily the best site of critical intelligence. 
but I did want to portray them as that. You know? uh, yeah, they came off very well. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, anyways, it influences on your character here. Yeah, so, but yeah. Reading between the lines, yeah, yeah. They, all, they all come off well, especially uh, the last character, the Chinese woman. The guy, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So the novel is about adjusting to a new place, about immigration. So it's necessarily about, as you said, what modern novels are about: development of a character or a self. In this case, where the place or the landscape is absorbed to become a feature that, yeah. of this new self in a way. And you almost feel that this is happening. He is absorbing the culture from a very naive kind of, even in terms of his age when he starts out, very naive position as someone with no experience of desire for yes. thing, basically very adolescent and puerile, yeah. to somebody with experience. But part of that experience isn't just the love interest. It's, it's the whole landscape and the whole culture of the United States. So the question is, well, a lot of questions come to mind, and one of them is, is the appeal of a new place or a culture typical in some way of other experiences of self-development? Sexual development, I suppose, most obviously, but political development also. Yeah. So is there an allegory here in being an immigrant in a way? Yeah. Um, uh, well, let's about being human. There are two things that immediately come to mind. One is, immigration was a gift to me, uh-huh. and another side of the coin is that I want the culture to which the immigrant comes, I want that culture to think of the immigrant as a gift to itself. Ah. And I wanted to portray the richness of that encounter as accurately as I could in order to, again, entering the debates at the present about immigration, to underline how newness comes into our lives. Otherwise, diversity is just a slogan. What does it mean in terms of real lives? small knowledges, broadening of experiences. So that is one thing. The other thing is that, let's remember that he is an immigrant into academia also. Yes. Uh So it is a place of learning. Uh What Uh is it that we learn when we enter the academic place, workplace, or... It's supposed to be new, something new. It's new, yeah. (laughs) New, challenging, disturbing. And that way, when I came, it was not... Even if I'm to speak of my own experience, it isn't simply that I myself was inexperienced, uh-huh. but I was also very dissatisfied with the education system in India. I thought my teachers had failed me in a way. They had failed me by failing me, of course, in a way of giving me an F, <laughs> but they had also yeah. failed me by not doing a good job. But when I came to this country, it was absolutely different, and I was very, very grateful for the kinds of classroom encounters I had. Uh-huh. And I have tried to be myself the teacher that I did not have in India uh-huh. and that I was fortunate enough to have uh-huh. when I came to this country. Uh-huh. I have tried to do a little bit of justice to that ideal of academic mentorship by showing how my characters learn new things, how to write new things, how to grow into the world, uh-huh. How to go into new places. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, teaching, isn't it? It can be, anyway. Oh, it can be, yeah, exactly. Learning, yes. And just to be around students who are eager to absorb. And also, there's an ethic of sort of potlatch, the gift, in a way. Students don't often thank you, and you don't get a chance to thank them, but there's something that you really, if you encounter a student later on, there's always a ritual of thanks of some kind. Yes, uh, yes. I mean... You'll remember, just a few weeks ago, I stopped you on the road outside and I said, you know, there were two students who were uh-huh. praising you. Yes, yeah. And we are very lucky that yeah, way yeah, at Vassar. Yeah. yeah, I praise my students all the time. You <laughs> know, I say in class they speak like oracles and they write like angels. <laughs> 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 so that isn't necessarily everybody's experience. So, 
But yeah. you know, so many of our students are so good, and that they bring this quality of engagement yeah. and desire to learn and pay us back yeah. by doing something that sometimes just blows our minds. Yes. I can't get over the fact that I can ask a group of 16 people t- to do something and they all do it. Exactly. No, nobody, exactly. No, nobody ever does what I ask them to do. You know, exactly. So, and happily, too. My God. So, yeah. Then let, allow me to tell you a story. Then. I don't know about you or about your, you know, the folks who listen to WVKR, but I have never succeeded in writing a caption in the New Yorker cartoon contest, you know, uh-huh. the, when, when they present. <laughs> but just last semester, mm-hmm. I asked my students. I put up a, you know, it just yeah. happened in yeah. an article we were yeah. reading. Uh-huh. I said, okay, here's this cartoon. Please, write captions. And my God, they turned out <laughs> such brilliant ones yeah. that yeah. I was staggered yeah. by. Yeah. So it's, it's great. It's great. Yeah, it is, yeah. So big question with your book, and it's, it's a kind of a theme. How do sex and culture overlay one another, do you think? Sure. Desire and culture, per se. Uh, uh, if you speak about culture for a second, mm-hmm. there are many writers I know, especially writers also from India, who have written about immigrant culture. But what the silence I found in that was that it was not ever about sex. Yeah. Jhumpa Lahiri is a wonderful writer, but I did not always think that there was an exploration adequately of sexual life. You encountered people who had experienced loss. Mm -hmm. You encountered people who had experienced displacement. You encountered people who had altered and transformed over a long period of time. There wasn't as rigorous or as frequent Mm -hmm. an encounter with sexuality. So for me, an answer to your question would be, well, it's an intertextual matter in the sense that if I found that other immigrant writers of my ilk had not let sex overlay culture, mm-hmm. then I was interested in doing precisely that, uh-huh. even at the risk of attracting some criticism yeah. from people saying, why is this this obsession yeah. or interest yeah. or whatever. Uh-huh. So for me, it was a little bit of a correction of what I felt to be the order of the... Yeah, you know, well, there's a repression going on in most immigrant writing, isn't yeah. there, it seems to me. Or one would say in yeah. culture. In culture, yeah, yeah. Where there's a fear, actually, of sexuality, but not in your book. So. I think it's becoming increasingly difficult, really, sometimes, especially for men, uh-huh. to do it boldly. Because for the right reasons, so much of the writing really has only been about male desire. Mm-hmm. So I think people uh, are right to yeah. question it yeah. in some ways. Uh-huh. But... I was interested in some ways, nevertheless, taking the step because I thought that was the right thing to do. Yeah, And then politics, how is that folded in here yeah. between the sexuality and the migration? Because it seems almost essential to your book. Yes, huh? yeah. And essential to the immigrant experience. Yeah. And not just politics, but law also. You have these wonderful passages that you insert, almost like dream passages, where your protagonist, A.K., is talking to a judge, basically, yes, yes. in a trial. So yes. it's very Kafka-esque. Yeah. In a way. And it's obviously an immigration or a deportation trial yes, of some kind. Yes, so yes. he's going over everything that's happened uh, yeah, yeah. And, and trying to frame it rhetorically in a good yeah. light. So. It comes out of that experience of having to account for your presence. Here. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Who are you? Uh-huh. What are you doing here? Yeah. So I imagine it's almost as if you were on a highway and you were stopped by a cop. Mm-hmm who asks why you were going at that speed, yeah. think instead of being in a court yeah. and you having to say, 
why you are here. Uh-huh. You know, what are you doing yeah. here? And so, this idea of the immigrant always having to offer an account of themselves. Uh-huh. Why are you here? Why are you not going back? Mm-hmm. When will you go back? That idea impelled that. And as to the... Of course, there are stories that we're asking Native Americans. It's now, yeah, of course, yeah. in the news. Yeah, so. Yes, yes. <laughs> Why don't you go back, back where you came from? Well, <laughs> so it's amazing. Yeah. So uh, that's one of the reasons why the politics... The other is, I think, the guy who's the mentor, the character called Hassan Ali, since he is tied and his pedagogy is that of protest, mm-hmm. in real life, Iqbal Ahmed was a person to whom people like Noam Chomsky and Howard Zinn and Edward uh-huh. Said dedicated their books. You know, uh-huh. Culture and Imperialism by Edward Said is dedicated to him. So here was a character whose real life was tied very much to a pedagogy of protest. Mm-hmm. And so politics comes that way also. It, it forms a sort of a subtext in the book for that reason also. Mm-hmm. So there are various ways in which... I didn't try to make it, um, how shall I say obtrusive, but I wanted it to be a constant presence. Yeah, no, it it was part of everything, part of the desire, part of the migration narrative, Mm -hmm. and the educational aspect, higher education especially. And then also you have these wonderful passages. He takes up the story of Agnes Smedley uh, as a dissertation topic. He's given it, actually. And I thought that was just fascinating material. I went back and read about Agnes Smedley. So he's writing on Agnes Smedley and doing research. Well, here's a story. Since you're so closely attached to the library, that story began for me in the library. Uh-huh. I went to the Vassar Library and was looking for any account of early Indian nationalists. Mm-hmm. And there was an account of a trial in the New York Times mm-hmm. in the early 1900s. Indian nationalists protesting the British rule in India, yeah. collaborating with Irish nationalists, yeah. and there was a trial. So there, in the basement of Vassar Library, microfiche, it was. Uh-huh. This is, yeah. I'm talking about yeah. almost 13, 14 years ago. Yeah. Uh-huh. I discovered a little news story, uh-huh. and Agnes Smedley's name came there. I just printed out that. So it remained in my mind. And then there was a further discovery, and a second. And then when I went for my writing residency at Yado, mm-hmm. there was a book on the table in my room which spoke about previous guests. Mm-hmm. Agnes Smedley turned out to be the one person who stayed at Yado the longest. Oh, wow. And in that account, uh-huh. I discovered more links. Uh-huh. I took that as a sign and yeah. therefore oh, made yeah, a whole sure. chapter out. Yeah, no, it was wonderful. You know, extremely interesting and it added a kind of a historical dimension. Yes. Apart from the events taking place at Columbia there. Yes. Another historical Another layer. Earlier, yeah, yeah, an early account. And it was about migration. It was also about her love life. Yes, because, because she, she had an a, you know, attachment with yeah. and she had a relationship with an Indian revolutionary. Uh-huh. It was a tumultuous one, you know, uh-huh. it had its own turbulent... Yeah. Uh, and and it's, it seemed very Seven Sisters also. I mean, she that's does, true. I don't know where she went as an undergraduate. But, yes, uh, I, didn't, I don't, can't remember. Yeah. She was from the Midwest, migrated and came to New York. She had these affairs and she ended up in China. And that's why, for uh-huh. me, the idea of the Chinese, the third relationship yeah. also came about. Yeah. One of the blurbs on the back of your book, that's yeah. the, whose it is. It may be the means quote, which isn't on the back of the book. Somebody termed this as a classic American David Mean? Yes, that means did. Means yeah. did. Quintessential American novel because it is about migration. This is a deeply American novel. Yeah, uh-huh. One that delves into the messiness of love and sex 
and the meeting point between identity, character, place, and the constant cultural stuff floating around. So I was going to ask you about that because it is about America in a way. Yes. You know, I mean, you get a really good picture of this country in it, all the way from Montana and the wolves that you want to inherit, back to New York, and about American women especially, but sure. American lives, and also the conflicts that are always being mediated. Yeah. at least at the university, that yeah. had to do with culture so uh, and, and desire. So I guess w we mediate conflicts of desire in a different way than we mediate conflicts of culture <laughs> That's at, right. in educational institutions, but we still mediate them. So, yes. Uh, yeah. I was asked by a journalist in India a similar question. Uh-huh. And I said, well, the American president has read the book. Of <laughs> so it's an American... Well, well, the Indian prime minister no. only reads propaganda. <laughs> yeah. And by his own party, yeah. and nothing else. Mm -hmm. He's an illiterate, really. Just like the current American yes, president. Yeah, yeah. So I said, I did feel American. Um, mm. I felt legitimated as an American writer, actually. Uh -huh. But yes, your reading is a much more generous one, and I embrace it wholeheartedly, because you think, sure, sure, yes. Well, yeah, you see yourself in, in the way you see things. So, I mean, you see other people or, you know, around me, but you see your own culture in a really important way that you wouldn't see it if it had been just Sinclair Lewis writing about Americans who mm -hmm. assumes all kinds of things, but yeah. you don't. So, um, yeah. And it's just enough distance there to, to make it really, really interesting. So, yeah. uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but. No, it uh, yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah. I mean, one of the things. One of the things I don't yet have, and I appreciated your remark about Agnes Smedley because that was drawing on American past, uh -huh. is the intimacy. If you read Toni Morrison's novels, for example, uh -huh. and I'm not in any way comparing myself, you know, she's a goddess, yeah. but there's such an easy trafficking in history. Uh -huh. you know? yeah. 1920 or 1933 yeah. or 1940. Yeah. So that intimacy with the past isn't there yeah. in my psyche. Thereby, I feel I'm still quite on the outside. Well, the effect in the book is to make the past present, though, because mm -hmm. you sense that lack of distance, uh, temporal distance. Yeah. But on the other hand, you realize the importance of the narrative, yeah. and, you know, for your own narrative, you know, mm -hmm. so with mm -hmm. a smedley, anyway. It works yeah, like yeah, that. So thank I love you. That. Yeah. And then, of course, the other big question is India. I mean, yeah. is this a typical Indian book, you know, even colonial British, however you want to look at it, yeah. is this a typical novel of that kind because you do start out writing about India and A.K.'s childhood with, sure. with the uh, wonderful narrative of a monkey uh, shitting yes. himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the suicidal monkey. Yes, so, yes. Uh, Most of the Indian writing in English is written by people who are very cosmopolitan, <laughs> who are from the big cities. Naipaul, yeah. yeah. Naipaul no, is, so for yeah. me, more marginal yeah, because yeah. he's coming from the Caribbean. Uh -huh, yeah. And then going to London, yeah, yes, yeah, cosmopolitan. Yeah, uh -huh. But he's not He's fairly from the margins. Yeah, when I think of someone like Rushdie, for example, yeah, okay, uh -huh, yeah. Bombay, London. Yeah. While A.K. is from a small town in India, his tales are about that monkey, or his tales are about his grandmother in yeah. the village who doesn't know English. Yeah, That really comes through. Right? So in that way, yeah. even in the context of English novels from India, it's a little marginal because it is a provincial novel. Uh -huh. But that's how childhood is. It's provincial. Isn't it? so, I mean, it <laughs> that's, is for, yes, yes. for everybody. Yes, so it rings yes, totally true. You know, I understand your what you're experience saying. of things is so immediate. Yes, know, yes, so, yes. Uh, that's uh, a very good point. Yes. And then I'd be more pleased to think of it as an American novel, now that you've suggested yeah. it, than to think of it as an Indian novel. Or maybe that's what to, to be Indian also now means to be partly diasporic. Uh -huh. Except that's not true yeah. for yeah. 
a billion and yeah. more people. So I w- as an Indian writer, I would rather be interested in sketching the distance also from India, yeah. to be looking at India from the outside. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I want to keep on doing. Uh-huh. You asked me early on in this book, before it was actually published, about a Picasso print. Yes. You had permission, which is amazing, because to get permission to reproduce a Picasso print used to be next to impossible, yeah. and it cost the king's ransom. Yeah. But now the French government has got the archive. However, you have to get through the French bureaucracy to be able, to, A, to get permission, and then B, to print. Now, you had permission, but we were just trying to get you an actual copy of yes, the image. Yes, it, it was a huge and problem. A, and it's an important image in the book itself. Yes. So, and that's a print of Picasso's lovers. Yes. What can I tell you? 30 years ago, I saw this image uh-huh. in a magazine, and I tore it out because I saw the line, the caption under it was, Picasso painted this after first making love to Fernand. Uh And I thought, wow, this is what it means to A, have that experience, Uh B, to transform it into Into art. Into meaning, yeah. You know? That's the other thing about yes. sex. It's all about meaning. Isn't That's it? right. I mean, it is. It's, it's the same as poetry. I mean, it's, it's, it's about wanting to mean something yourself. Yes, uh, yes. Your desire is sure. about that. And then wanting things to mean something. Yes. And when it works, that's what it is all about. Yes, yeah. yeah. when it doesn't work, that it becomes disappointing. So since then, and this is you know, why I tell my students that they should have notebooks. Since then, it remained in one of my notebooks. And so when I started writing and looking at letters or notebooks from that time, Uh I found it again. Uh And I thought, I'll insert this somewhere. Mm -hmm. And Uh so, since the novel itself is made up of a few scraps from the notebooks, I wanted to put it in. Put it in. Oh, that's nice. So it's an actually an archival artifact of your own past. Yes, yes. That's that's, uh, appeared. Yeah, which I have then mixed with, for example, a letter written by the writer John Berger, uh-huh. that I found in an archive in New Hampshire to the person who I've been calling Esan Ali, uh, which was Iqbal Ahmed. Yeah. So that the book, the novel as a form, flirts with non-fiction mm-hmm. in the sense that there is an actual picture of Henry Kissinger. Uh-huh. Yeah. There are documents from the trial. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are footnotes. Footnotes, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Where I was actually playing with... So it's know, archival in some ways. It it's is, but I was also being a little cheeky with academic conventions. While academics footnotes uh, establish scholarship, I was trying to be a little bit scholarly, but I was also trying to take liberties with it. And so there's a certain quality of excess, mm-hmm. I hope. Yeah, there is. Yeah, it, it does come <laughs> off like a picaresque. It's a yes. little bit of a parody all the way through. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, last question. Uh, yes. what, what have you got on the stove at the moment? Uh, what are you yeah. working on now? Because I'm sure you have something, something yeah. going on. Well, in a few months, a book will come out called Every Day I Write the Book. It is a book on writing and style. Uh-huh. It's an attempt also to correct some of the conventions of academic writing. Uh I want to encourage graduate students, I want to encourage young scholars to blur the line between creative and critical work. Uh To make writing less Uh dull and also exciting in in experimentation and form, etc. So that's... But I'm also working on a novel on fake news, Uh you know. Everywhere, the spread of rumors and lies and the way in which language itself has been tarnished. What does it mean? So how how do you respond as a writer? 
If I'm writing fiction, and if I know that Donald Trump is producing fiction every day through yes, his lies, yeah, yeah. what is the status of my fiction in relation to his fiction? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Peter Leonard has an essay today, actually, in the Times about the fact that nobody believes Donald Trump about anything he can say. So when he ma- in this manufactured crisis that we have now, his words mean nothing. I mean, yes. di- diplomatically or any other way, except in, in so far as you're trying to read a madman. You know, yeah. So that's what I'm doing okay. at the moment. Yeah, it sounds great. So we'll have to do another interview. About that. <laughs> I go very kind. It was fun. Okay, great. So uh, I want to thank you, Ami, for talking with us today about your most recent novel, Immigrant Montana, a novel published by Knopf in 2018. It's been great. So Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a pleasure. pleasure. So, yeah.